the word free is a galvanizing word, but it's a political word. It's a tough word because everyone in this room and certainly all of you as trustees know that it's either paid for by a public entity, a private entity, or a public-private partnership. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know features a session from our Congress this past fall. Martha Cantor, director of the College Promise Campaign, moderates a conversation about free community college with panelists Bernie Reinerson, trustee for the San Diego Community College District, F. King Alexander, president of the Louisiana State University, and Zakiah Smith-Ellis, the secretary of education for the state of New Jersey. This is part one of a two-part conversation. So I'm going to kick off with the first question um, and ask a question for all of you. And the first one is, given the fact that free college, as I said, equals paid for somehow, either by the student, the state, the private sector, or a combination, in the first couple of minutes, could you give us your perspective on free college in general and why the free community college movement in particular is so popular? What's your position on this and why? So Bernie, let's start with you. Well, I'm for it. Uh, but uh, no, other than that, I think at San Diego, we have seen tremendous results in student success as a result of the promise. Um, when I heard President Obama say that we should have free community colleges, I got so excited about the possibility that our country could start a narrative, really change the narrative about higher education the way we did with high schools 100 years ago and that that was actually possible. And then to see leaders like Martha and others from around the country pick up the whole Promise Movement was very, very exciting. And I knew that we had to be part of that in San Diego. I'd kind of like to know of you out in the audience, how many of you have Promise programs? Let's see your hands. So that's great. And what, as Martha said, what's interesting about the Promise Movement is that all of our programs are a little bit different. They have to focus on your, your local and your regional needs, what resources you have, uh, what kind of political support you have. So they all grow up a little bit differently. Um, in our district, we started in 2016 with a, really a pilot project of 186 students coming from our uh, unified school district, San Diego Unified. And we took money out of our own foundation, uh, about $270,000, and gave free tuition and uh, a book grant of $1,000 to students. And there, that was our first cohort, and we've grown it from there. Uh, in California in 2016, there was a study by the California Public Policy Institute that showed by 2030 in our state in California, we're going to be 1.1 million degree baccalaureate degrees short of what the workforce demand is. And that is kind of frightening. So I think community colleges and promise programs can play a role to meet that kind of demand to get our students through and get them on to four-year universities and get them to baccalaureates, but even in, into uh, jobs and the workforce with two-year degrees. So it's, as Martha says, it's opening up access for our students um, and allowing them to move forward. Uh, we have a real challenge. In 2016, there was another report by the Community College Resource Center that showed that only 14% of 1.1 million students in two-year institutions went on to baccalaureate degrees. So that, that's also part of our challenge. And I think Promise programs 
with the wraparound services that we add to Promise programs uh, can address completion and persistence. Uh, and we've seen that in our program as we've continued to grow it. So Zakia, what's your take on the free college movement? What's happening in New Jersey and what's your perspective going forward? So thank you for um, opening us up to talk about free generally. Let me just say, um, I think that we've got to stop talking about free college and just talk about universal access to higher education. And because no one asks what you think about free libraries or what you think about free parks or free swimming pools or free high schools. And it's the same thing. Community colleges were designed to be a place where people could continue their education without barriers and in their local communities as a resource, as a public good. And so I think free college is part of that vision. And our governor thinks about it in that way. Um, and I think more of us should be thinking about it in the, in the notion of um, it being a public good that we are investing in. Now, we have problems investing in all of our public goods. And uh, you know we have a problem with figuring out how much we should spend on this or that. But I just think this has to be part of that mix of things that we have to invest in and when I was actually at the White House the first person that really convinced me because I, I think initially I was like yeah I'm not sure we've got a lot of priorities you know there's lots of things that we need to pay for and it was actually uh, a woman who worked on workforce um, and employer policy who said you know you all you all being you higher ed people, you all keep saying that everybody needs some kind of post-secondary education. And that was something that President Obama had started out you know, saying when he first started his uh, first term. He said everybody needs some form of post-secondary education. He didn't say everybody has to have a bachelor's degree, but he said high school education today is no longer going to give you the kind of skills that you need to be successful in the 21st century economy, which was kind of like most people say, yeah, we know that. And she said, well, if you're saying that, if you're saying that people need something beyond high school, it is amoral to ask them to pay for that. You are guaranteeing that people will not be able to move forward if you make that restricted based on, it, on uh, people's ability to pay. So I, I, that was kind of like an aha moment to me. She said, if you're saying that we've moved beyond high school, but you're not giving it to everybody openly, um, what are we doing? We're you know, setting up a system that's designed to keep people behind. And so that was probably the moment that the, light, that the light clicked for me. And so I was glad to be able to take this position in New Jersey where we have a governor who has that same kind of thinking. So we're trying our best to pull together and cobble together pieces. I can talk a little bit more about our, um, our innovation challenge and the community college opportunity grants, which are um, not the kind of full vision of what we had originally hoped for, but what we were able to get in this first uh, go at the legislature. And we're excited about it. Right. So King, let me turn to you uh, down in Louisiana now, having come from Long Beach. Um, what's your take on this movement? Well, I'll, I'll talk a little more about the, prom the Long Beach promise later, and that, that's, it's, it, what, it's not a rocket science issue and, or funding issue. Um, but let's go to the core of the problem. This is a consequence, one of the many consequences, of, state, of states getting out of their investment. So we've had backlash. We've had backlash in merit-based scholarships. The Hope Scholarship started, triggered 15 different states to put merit-based. We got a big merit-based scholarship program. Middle-class backlash on college costs going up because state legislatures are backing out of their responsibilities. States are down 55 to 57 percent from where they were in tax effort since 1980. And so now you're seeing different variations of the backlash. The American Opportunity Tax Credit which is now up to $2,500, up to 180000 in income, is a backlash. It's a backlash. So you're seeing middle income and upper income, 
people putting new policies together, as well as the free college movement coming back because college costs have gone up so much and everybody's worried about college costs going up. Well, go to the core of the problem. The core of the problem is our state legislatures have been backing out of their responsibilities, getting reelected, and not putting more money into higher education. And so now we've got a free college movement going, like we had the American Opportunity Tax Credit going, like we had the, what we call in Louisiana, and I see Steve back there, TOPS, Merit, Hope. These are all backlashes to college cost growth, which is a consequence of states backing out of their responsibility. And Steve, Steve knows, as I do, that we fought very hard not to get cut this year, and we're very thankful to be at our 1991 funding level. And most of you are right around the, your 1990 to 91 funding level. Is anybody from Colorado? Yep. Yeah, you guys are the worst. Uh, <laughs> your legislature is absolutely the worst. And so these are new gimmicks. These are new ideas and, and policies because the middle class is griping about college costs going up. And this is just one of the consequences, the community college and the American opportunity the American college promise that was in the administration for the Obama administration, the one thing that they said that is different than Tennessee doing it on their own, that the federal government would give states money to make community colleges free, the key in all that was, and this is the nucleus of it all, the key was if that state only the state had to make sure that they maintained their two and four year funding level to play in the game. So they couldn't take the federal money and supplant their money and move their money out. But if that policy had gone forward to the House and the states, however many would have taken advantage of it, there would have been a guarantee that that state could not cut its community colleges nor could it cut its four year institutions to get the federal money. That is the catalyst, that is the nucleus of what needs to happen to make these programs work in the future. So yeah, so what we're seeing you know, in the discussions around the country are conversations about, on the one hand, stabilizing, and I think you know, the maintenance of effort is a critical component to stability. And the other thing is to sustainability. So what, what Governor Haslam did do was he pulled money out of the state coffers and put it into an irrevocable trust so it would generate interest that was all to the good but also so it, so that it would weather the political winds and i think those kinds of things you know thinking about for trustees sustainability and stability is going to be critical as you think about these conversations about doing more for students so for bernie i want to ask you you know if you, you're a trustee what can we tell the trustees here in terms of lessons learned? You've had your promise now for a few years. You started with a small cohort. You developed it. What are the lessons learned um, from the San Diego promise? And what would you advise when trustees get asked questions by students, by community members, by business leaders? What can you say? Well, it, it's exciting to see everybody here and knowing that trustees around the country are so active in this movement and so supportive of it. Let, let me give you a little bit of background about the San Diego Promise and, and what's happened in California. As I said, we started with a small pilot program and about $270,000 for uh, 180 students and started our first cohort. Uh, and that went really well and it showed that it did do uh, great things for student success for that 
that cohort of students. So we expanded it the next year to 600 students, thanks in part to a, a, a grant from the owner of the San Diego Padres for $200,000. And we're grateful for those types of leaders in our community supporting our promise. Uh, but then our state legislature uh, approved uh, the California Promise. We've always had a waiver of fees for low-income students, and about 60% of our students at San Diego Community College District got a fee waiver, and we, are, we're, we were at $46 a credit. Um, so in a sense, a lot of our students were getting free tuition. One of the things about Promise programs we, have, we need to tell people and, and remember is that it's not free because tuition and books is about 20% of the cost of going to college. We know our, what our students face, how they have to work part-time, uh, food, housing. In San Diego, housing is extremely expensive and hard to find. So uh, they have all sorts of expenses beyond what we can even do in the Promise program. So the state came in with a $46 million appropriation to make the first year free at community colleges in California for first-time full-time students. Uh, and that allowed us to expand our program to over 2,000 students this year. So we're very excited about that. But it was very confusing to our donors who thought, oh, well, now the state's going to pay for it. Why are you asking for money for your promise program? And so we communicated and uh, we're flexible. And now we have a two-year program, our San Diego Promise, which is funded by the state and private donations and other sources. Um, and we provide a grant for the second year uh, and a smaller book grant of $200 uh, to our students to help them get through the second year. Um, so that's where our Promise program kind of evolved to as a mixture of funding sources. Uh, fundraising is still difficult, it, and it's a role that trustees need to step up to the plate and work who we know in the community and work with, with the donors that come into your Promise program, and that's a very important role for trustees. But I think as trustees, we need to think about a couple of other things. Uh, first of all, is your Promise program consistent with your mission and vision? What, what type of requirements do you want to uh, put into the Promise program that you develop? We have a grade point average requirement of 2.0, which we kept fairly low so that uh, we'd have more students succeed. Uh, we have a community service requirement of eight hours of community service so that our students are encouraged to give back uh, to the community. Uh, and we require them to come in early for a summer bridge program and to participate in tutoring and to take 12 units, so to be full time all the way through. Um, that's something that you have to think about is what kind of, what are those requirements you would, that you want to build into your program? The other thing is think about not just access and getting more students to be able to go to college, but student success and building in student success character, uh, parts of your Promise program. And as I said, we have a summer orientation. We have cohort education. So our Promise students take classes together, they have peer mentors, they uh, study together, uh, and they get to know one another and support one another. And we find that that cohort education model really helps keep them in, in the program. Uh, so having access and student success uh, is very, very important. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break to remind you all that the 50th annual ACCT Leadership Congress is coming up and we're looking for innovative presentations from ACCT member colleges and affiliates. 
check out congress.acct.org for our call for presentations, to register, to find out about sponsorship opportunities and more. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and I noticed in the San Diego Promise, one of the highlights was increasing GPA for African-American students. Yeah, so I was going to talk in, about that. In terms yeah. of closing the achievement gap, a critical outcome you know, and priority for trustees is how are we going to close the achievement gap and how can we use the promise to increase equity yeah. for all? Um, King, let me go back to when you were uh, president of Long Beach State University. And you had Long Beach City College, you had the community college, you have a huge uh, university, it was impacted, it was very hard to accept more students, you had so many more students. What were the takeaways? Why did you sit down with the mayor, the community college president, the state, the local superintendent of schools, and you know the business leaders of, of Long Beach. What what drew you in, and what can the trustees learn about the partnership that you created over so many years? So Eloy Oakley, those of you in California, was one. Of, we, we're two of the three amigos they called us um, uh, in Long Beach, and the the Long Beach promise. I want to separate the free part from the promise part, because we weren't funded by anybody. And it didn't become free to the first year until 20 years in the making for the first year students at Long Beach City College. When the Navy moved out of Long Beach, the city thought the world was coming to an end and, it, and the mayor then, uh, Beverly O'Neill, brought the education leaders together with the business leaders and we said, and I wasn't there then, but said that the city's gotta do something. This is the worst scenario we could ever have as a city. and. So they started this idea of working closely together. And this is K-12, this is the community college, this is Long Beach State, Cal State Long Beach, and the four-year, two-year, kindergarten, preschool, everybody works together. 10 years later, when I got to Long Beach, we said, let's put, the, let's put this promise on steroids. And let's, have, let's go to the arena and sign a pledge that we're gonna, that every one of those kids in Long Beach are our kids. Doesn't matter if they're enrolled at Long Beach City College, at Cal State Long Beach, or in the K through 12 system. And, and everybody says, well, you can do that, it's Long Beach, it's a small school district. It's not a small school district. Long Beach School District has 90,000 kids. It's larger than Boston, Cleveland, Detroit, and Cincinnati. 90% Title I schools. English is a second language, 60% of the population. Compton High is right in the district. The smallest high school our kids went to had 6,000 kids in it. It worked. And the reason it worked is because we met, frequently talked. It's not rocket science. Our math teachers met with their math teachers over the summer. The high school teachers identified deficiencies. The college said, these students aren't doing well in these areas. We just talked together. We worked together. And we saw it as a systemic issue involving all the kids. And then we told every kid that if you do the following things in Long Beach, no matter how difficult it is to get into Long Beach State or Cal State Long Beach with 90,000 applications, we got you a spot. We're going to hold a spot for our local kids who do the following things. And the parents sign a pledge to help them do it. And we remind them of it each and every year. And then we do a report card to the business community every year about the progress we've made in a big annual report and a principal for the day once a year. 
and give ourselves grades on how many kids went to college, how many were college ready, and the business community then bought into it, then started putting money into it 20 years later. The Broad Foundation then started putting money into it. This thing had nothing to do with money. All I had to do with is, is believing that that kindergarten kid is everybody's kid, and Cal State Long Beach's graduation rate doesn't start at orientation. It starts in preschool and kindergarten. So I, I, I liked, it's a hundred things that we did together. It's not one thing. And, and if you're waiting around for funding to do this, you're going to lose. And if your funding dissipates as you're doing it and you've based it on funding, it's not going to work. It's simple. You work to, the superintendent works with the community college president. Your math teachers work with their math teachers. Your English teachers work with their English teachers. And you make the city better and you make the schools better and everybody works together. And it, that's, it's not rocket science. So going to the state level, we have, you know, Madam Secretary, the Secretary of Education for New Jersey, the first and youngest probably of all the secretaries in the country. Um, Zakia was at the Lumina Foundation. She was the strategy director before that. She did a lot of work in financial aid policy, took that to the White House, and here she is today. And so we'd just like you to talk about how are you strategizing to bring up New Jersey's promise? Well, thanks, Martha. <laughs> we, um, Secretary of Higher Education, so the Commissioner of Education is somewhere saying, don't forget about me. Um, and only the second secretary, and I know the former secretary, and she's wonderful, but a little bit older than me. So I will say I'm the youngest <laughs> secretary of higher education in the state of New Jersey ever. Um, and what are we doing in New Jersey? As King just talked about, part of this is about creating something that makes sense to individuals. And so, the promise, the aspect of a promise is to be able to tell somebody, you can go to college and it will not be a burden to you and this is what that means clearly. And that, all of the research on financial aid, all of the research on how to do uh, outreach to students says you need to make it clear and plain to them. And part of, I think, the frustration of especially lower income families, I used to, when I was in grad school, I worked with uh, low income students trying to get them to, um, you know, apply to college and just give them help. And it was just such a frustrating and confusing process. And not even just to first generation college students, but many, you know, people, even if their parents had gone to college, it's just, you know, you have to first decide where you're going to apply to. And, um, you know, most people have some constraints on that. Some of the constraints are, you know, I'm only willing to, you know, I'm going to stay at home, so it's just the places that are nearby. Other people, it's, well, I'm not really familiar with places that are beyond this, so I'm just kind of not comfortable going there. Um, and other folks, it's like, well, I don't think I could get in. And then a lot of times, it's, I don't think I could afford it. And then, you know, if you work in a college, you say, oh, no, 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 you just don't know. It does, it's not really the sticker price. We've got all these grants that you're just not aware of. And then the students say, okay, well, how can I, how do I know how much you get? Well, first you fill out the FAFSA, and then after you fill out the after you apply, then you fill out the FAFSA, and after you, you know, so it's like, well, why should I apply if I don't think I could pay for it? And it's like, oh, well, we created a, a FAFSA calculator, so you can still give all your financial information online, and then they can give you an amount, and then you can subtract that amount from the amount that we say our tuition and fees are, and then we may give you some other money from the college that we can't tell you about because it's a proprietary algorithm that we use to create the perfect class, but just try us that it's going to make you feel comfortable after you apply and fill out the FAFSA and get that number and it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense and um, when I was at Lumina one of the projects that I really enjoyed 
was taking a step back. At a foundation, you can take a step back. I've realized at a state, you cannot take a step back. <laughs> but at, a, at, at Lumina, we took a step back and said, we are going in circles on this financial aid and affordability thing. And we, every president, every governor says, we're going to make college more affordable. And people are kind of tired of it because they say, what does that mean? I don't know what that means for me. And it's surprising to me that how many people um, were frustrated at the presidential election when free college got such a, you know, the, pu the general public was like, yes. And it's like, I can't say that the word that I was thinking, but it's like no stuff, you know? Like people are really excited when you tell them exactly what it is they're gonna be getting. They're tired of you saying it's gonna be affordable, just trust me, they wanna know what that means to them. And so um, I think the promise of promise is to figure out how do you make, how do you cut through the crap and tell people what it's going to mean for them? What am I actually going to be paying? What am I gonna be getting? What do I have to do? Do I have to take this math, that math? Just tell me what it is you need me to do. Don't just tell me, it's going to be okay, just trust us, because that doesn't, that doesn't work. The, um, the, so the thing that we took a step back at Lumina and did was to say, what do other industries or what other public sector areas have issues with affordability? We see this in retirement savings, we see it in healthcare, we see it in, you know, just a there are a number of different places beyond college where people have, you know, struggles paying and where the cost goes up and where you have subsidies and there's cross-subsidization and where it's complicated. And what have we learned from that? And what we know from all of those other industries, just saying stepping outside of our own space in higher education, is that you have to create simple guide paths for people. People will not save for retirement if you tell them, yes, you need to save for retirement and you need to do a calculator to figure out what it is and then you need to figure out how you cobble together the different pieces and Social Security will maybe be available, but we're not gonna send you something every year that tells you how much it's gonna be. You have to like figure that out on your own. That we don't. Places where we're serious about solving this issue, we create simple ways for people to, you know, be a part of it and we tell them what their benefit is. So that was a long way of saying in New Jersey, we're trying to figure that out. We didn't have, you know, because the federal government is not giving us any money, uh, we were able to cobble together what I think is a, a significant amount, $25 million. Um, to do a promise program this year. And we have an income cap, so it's uh, under $45,000, which we're in New York City right now. New Jersey's just across the river. And $45,000 in New Jersey is not a lot of money. Um, and But that is the income cap that we have for the program. Um, we wanted to give every New Jersey, we wanted to have a simple message that every New Jersey resident who goes to community college who makes less than $45,000 will not have to pay. And that seems like something everybody should be able to agree on because we pride ourselves in having a very robust financial aid system. But this just goes to the complexity of things. So when we first talked about this with legislators, they said, oh, you've got Pell, which is almost $6,000. You've got our New Jersey scholarship program, it's, or not scholarship, it's a need-based program, but it's one of the largest in the nation. It's, uh, it's you know, well, I can't say how much it is. It's $430 million as in aggregate. So how is it possible that people under $45,000 are still paying tuition. Well, because like I just said, we have this complicated mess. I couldn't, you know, the, actually the algorithm for how we give out our state financial aid is not publicly available. Um, students get a different amount depending on whether you go to a public or private institution, whether that's a community college or a four-year college, and depending on what the tuition at the college itself is. So you've got that, plus you've got, a, you know, we've got 19 different community colleges and 19 different tuitions at each of the community colleges. So depending on where you live, the tuition might be more, and you've got the fees, not just the tuition. So we got the tuition and fees. So it cost us, we estimated, somewhere in the ballpark of $45 million 
just for one semester to make tuition and fees free for people just making under $45,000. And for us to have all those resources that people think are there and it's still not already free, because people said it should be free, and I said, I wish it was, because then we could just tell them and it wouldn't have cost us any money. <laughs> but it's not. So long way of saying we have a ways to go. We're starting with this kind of pilot approach with a few colleges because we didn't have enough money to do the full thing. And even that isn't the full bore of community college for everybody in the state being paid for. But the simple message of telling people what it is that they will pay is where we we need to be going uh, just based on what every piece of research that we've ever seen on financial aid says. Yeah, and one of the things beyond, you know, what we've learned from a college promise across the country is, and I think King said it well, you know, the money is one piece, but it's the relationships, it's the governance, it's the cross-sector uh, engagement of people, it's the vision of sustainability and stability, it's also giving students a mentor so a lot of the Promise programs are providing a mentor, an advisor. There's all kinds of strategies that we're trying to profile in some of the uh, documents, the resources that we're putting out. And uh, I do want to mention Sarah Aldrich in the front, who will be in the back. So if you want us to send you a set of resources, just give her your card, and we'll make sure um, that you get you know, the Promise with a Purpose document that we did with the, the Achieving the Dream and Complete College America. That was a joint publication that we did last spring. We have a playbook. So Martha, can I just, yes, rule sure. number one that we learned was drop the blame. Universities blame community colleges and say they're not ready. Community colleges and universities blame the high schools and say they're not ready. Drop the blame. Uh, and and you, know, you know who's teaching those kids? They're your, they're your graduates. So it, it, this is a cycle. And this is a cycle, and that kid in kindergarten who's being taught by your graduate, and who are we to blame our graduates, then we're, we're at fault at the end of the day. Rule number one, to get into this, nobody's at fault. Your teachers don't blame the high school teachers, the high school teachers don't blame the middle school teachers, the middle school teachers don't blame the elementary school teachers. This isn't a blame issue. They're all our kids, and that's where it has to start. I agree. So um, this last question, and then we'll open it up to the audience because I know you have promise programs. Some of you want to start them. Some of you want to grow them. Some of them. Some of you have all kinds of questions about you know the mechanics of them. So this last question to each of you um, before we open it up to everyone is what what advice will you give to trustees? What are one or two next steps or what something they should think about? You know, we already said no blame game anymore. Actually, everyone then ends up blaming the families and the families turn around and say, but we've created this as a country. We, you know, we just want more education. Um, so let me start with Bernie and say, you know, what advice would you give? One or two policy suggestions. Well, I think when you, when you think about your promise program, maybe you have it in place or you're developing one, is to think about student success in addition to access, in addition to just making it free, uh, covering fees and tuition. What can you do in your promise program to impact student success? And that was really important to, to my board uh, that I sit in. We share that value. And when we worked with our chancellor, uh, Chancellor Constance Carroll, who's here, uh, who's done an amazing job taking the board's vision and values and translating that and flowing that into our colleges and into the Promise program. 
is developing a program that had a summer bridge so that these students who were first-time college students to get that promise grant had to come to a summer bridge and and do a class on college readiness uh, and to do the cohort education model as I said before to blend in whatever additional tutoring and mentoring that you can provide and then to track the results and bring that back to the trustee board so that you can see how your promise program is doing and that when you look at results of your promise program it's more than just how much money did we raise and how many students did we have it's how did they how did they persist and how how did uh, you know they do in graduation so the data that you mentioned uh, that's been so um, enlightening to my board is that uh, our promise students have a higher GPA than all of our other full-time students of 2.67 and it's a little bit higher uh, and their completion rate is 76% and um, our retention rates are up in the 90% but they're at higher rates than just your average full-time student but what's what was even more exciting for us is when we looked at the Latinx students and the African-American students and that's where we saw significant student success gains with our African-American students and Latinx students having higher, significantly higher grade point averages and course completion and retention rates. So having trustees be aware of those student success data as part of your promise program uh, is really uh, my strongest recommendation as a trustee is to make sure that's part of what you're doing. Thank you, Bernie. What do you think, Zakia? I think I, Bernie stole what I was going to say, which was <laughs> focus on student success. So, but I will say it again because I think it bears repeating, which is to um, th the whole point of these kinds of programs, I think, is to make sure that students complete. Nobody starts out thinking that they're not going to finish college. And so the fact that so um, many of them don't end up you know, meeting their own goals means that we should try to figure out why that is and how to support them in doing that. And I, uh, I know that there have been a number of uh, efforts, some of which we've been, you know, a part of over the years to try to help community colleges and trustees and others think about student success and move forward. And sometimes those things don't pan out the way we think they should, but I, don't, I want us to kind of not be deterred by that and just to kind of keep in the trustee role, you're in the perfect place to say, why haven't, what has, what are the numbers? So like, let's actually evaluate what we're doing to see if it's leading to the right outcomes. And if it's not working, let's figure out why uh, so that we can move forward effectively. And there are some reports out there that kind of um, can help us in that respect. But I, I do think sometimes it can be initiative fatigue where you kind of do one thing and do another thing and do another thing. And I saw this and I saw that. And just being able to step back and say, yes, we care about student success. That's clearly a priority. We want to be upfront on that. And that'll be our talking point to the governor and to our legislators and to the general public that we care about those things, but we want to be thoughtful about how we uh, support that. This has been part one of a two-part conversation about Free Community College. Tune in next week for part two and be sure to subscribe so you're notified when we post new episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>